0: Excitement,
1: adventure, mystery, around every corner. No matter what you choose, fantasy awaits you. It's time to pick
2: your path.
1: Pick your path. The podcast where you. Charge of your own your Welcome to Pick Your Path, a choose-your-own-adventure podcast. This is Episode 3, Theme Park Paragon, penned by yours truly, David King. This story finds you owning your own amusement park, where your decisions determine the success, or failure, of your entertainment enterprise, running into unique problems and wacky characters along the way. Think of it as an homage to those theme park sim games. You know the ones I'm talking about. This episode was edited and produced by Matt Benson and narrated by Matt Hawley. Our theme song is by Christopher Wrigley of Bunhouse Jingles at customjingles.net. Our logo art is by Wayne Jensen of waynejensenart.net.
0: Editor's note, uh, Wayne Jansen's website is, of course, WayneJansenArt.com, not .net. It's CustomJingles.net and WayneJansenArt.com. We apologize for the confusion.
1: If you know how to use an enhanced podcast, skip to Chapter 1. If not, keep listening for further instructions and the parent's guide for this episode. This is an enhanced podcast, which means it is broken up into chapters. At the end of each chapter, you'll be presented with a choice— To pick that choice, simply skip to that chapter. In iTunes, the chapters control is under the control heading. The Podcasts app on iOS devices, like an iPhone, will allow you to skip to any chapter. Tap on Chapters, and then choose a chapter. If you're an Android user, the VLC app allows you to skip to any chapter. In the VLC app, simply tap the Options button, the three dots, tap the arrow next to Go to Chapter, and select a chapter. Most other Android apps don't read chapters in an enhanced podcast file. An audiobook file will also be available for download at benviewnetwork.com/audiobook. All right, boys and girls, it's time for the parents' guide for this episode. Now, granted, this might actually be the tamest episode we've done on Pick Your Path. There's really no violence, no swearing, no death, no blood, no gore, no sex, no drugs, no alcohol. I think wine gets mentioned at least at one point during the story, so it's not a big deal. And in classic certain theme park sim game fashion, everybody does puke on the road at one point. There is a part where a lot of people throw up. Uh, I hope you guys are looking forward to that bit because it was fun to write. Otherwise, I think you're okay to go, so why don't we go ahead and open the gates, let the kids in, and enjoy building your own amusement park. Have fun!
3: Chapter One One morning, a mysterious letter arrives with the usual pile of junk mail and bills. It hardly stands out, until you notice the first-class stamp and the fact that the letter is sealed with wax stamped with what you recognize as an obscure family crest. Opening it, you discover that your family has an old and fairly significant trust fund, and that with the recent passing of your cantankerous yet eccentric great-aunt, her inheritance and property has been passed on to you. The amount of money listed is enough to make your eyes go wide, but there is a catch. In your aunt's will, she made it clear that the inheritor must do something significant with the property as well, to carry on the family business in order to receive the cash in full. A fraction of it has been granted to you for that purpose. That's when you learn that your aunt once ran a small amusement park, Pearl Peninsula, which has been closed for more than a decade. How your aunt got all this money or why she chose you for this is hard to say but you don't waste any time making arrangements to check the place out. This is a golden opportunity to create something spectacular. Soon, you're standing at the shuttered iron gates of Pearl Peninsula, and your key undoes the heavy padlock. Judging by the squeal of the rusty hinges as you open them, no one has passed through these gates properly in a long time. You wander through the lonely forgotten remnants of the amusement park, Pearl Peninsula lived up to its name, being on a part of land that juts out over the ocean. And years of neglect have left the park weathered by rain, salt air, and seabird droppings. Ugh. All the buildings are still intact, though their clapboard walls have been defaced with graffiti, their windows broken or boarded up. Odd bits and pieces of outdoor rides lie haphazardly near their original bases, bumper cars, ferris wheel gondolas, tilt-a-whirl pods, and others. A wooden roller coaster with a faded wooded sign proclaiming it The Razor Racer seems to dominate much of the park's skyline now sun bleached and abandoned its timbers creaking as you pass near it close to that you spot the eerie facade of the haunted hotel a giant skeleton leering silently over the roof at you the merry-go-round is tilted just slightly off its axis and the paint has peeled from the menagerie of animals You spend a good amount of time poking into every nook and cranny you can, and start thinking about your next move. There's no way you can open the park in its dilapidated state, and clearly there's work to be done. It might have been a good idea to just raise the entire property and start fresh. It would cost you a lot, but give you room to make all kinds of modern state-of-the-art rides and attractions. However, you could also try to restore the park. Underneath the wear and tear, there's a certain nostalgic charm that could be captured. You can make Pearl Peninsula as a historic landmark, and it would cost significantly less. Or you could say screw this and hire a lawyer to try and get your aunt's money. You don't know the first thing about running a park, after all, and maybe this doesn't quite appeal to you, but you do want to get that cash. If you want to clear the land and start anew, skip to Chapter 3. If you want to restore Pearl Peninsula, skip to Chapter 4. Or if you want to try and get your aunt's money another way, skip to Chapter 5.
0: Oh, um... You're not, uh... You're not supposed to... David, did, did you... Did you send? No? Um, You're not really supposed to be here. Uh, There was some editing mishaps, let's call them, and as a result there was no Chapter 2. This is really more of just a placeholder. Uh, Not really sure what led you here. I think you've obviously uh, found a broken connection. But I don't want to send you home with nothing. So, um, you know what, let's have a little sneak peek of next month's episode. Uh, I wrote it. And uh, I'd be happy to read the first paragraph for you here. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have uh, as nice a voice as Matt Holly, but I'll do what I can. Here we go. This is a preview of next month's episode of Pick Your Path. Exclusive for the loonies who just go through and listen to every chapter, even the ones they were not led to. It's 1999. You're 16 years old. You live in Dawson Creek, British Columbia. It's a sleepy little town with no relation to the TV show Dawson's Creek, except that ever since it premiered last year, out-of-towners have been making annoying little jokes about James Vanderbeek. You hate that, but at least none of them stay in town long. Most visitors you get are just stopping by on the way to Alaska, which is where you'll be heading in a few minutes. You have cousins in Gustavus, and your mom insists on visiting them once a year. As small and boring as Dawson Creek is, Gustavus is about ten times worse. Whatever. You'll just have to get through it. It's only three days. Well, there you have it. That was a little preview paragraph of uh, next month's episode. I'm sure you're all excited to see where that goes from there. But uh, now go back to one of the chapters you're supposed to be at and enjoy the rest of Theme Park Paragon on Pick Your Path.
3: Chapter 3 After some careful consideration... You decide it's best to simply tear everything down and start anew. You have a vision, and you want to make sure your park is on the cutting edge with new designs, thrills, and ideas. You spend some time getting in touch with a contractor to demolish the old park and sell the scrap for a little extra cash. Soon enough, the bulldozers have moved in and cleared the land, taking your great aunt's rundown park with it. Pearl Peninsula is now an open swath of land, ready for you to start building. Of course, you keep a few nostalgic keepsakes of the old park, just to pay tribute. Perhaps you can put them back in the park as little Easter eggs for sharp-eyed patrons to find. As you look around at the barren flat ground that will soon play host to your park, you start thinking about where to begin. The demolition cost a fair sum, but you have enough left to at least get a good start. How will you draw people into your park though? What will entice them? Maybe it's best to appeal to the thrill seeking crowd to build the tallest, fastest, scariest roller coaster imaginable to pull in the masses. However, maybe building several quality, gentler rides might be the way to go. Either way, it's going to take most of what's left of your resources. If you decide to build an extreme roller coaster as the main draw, skip to chapter 7. If you'd rather play it safe and start small with several simple rides, skip to chapter 6. Chapter four. You decide that undoing much of your great aunt's work, especially when a lot of what's here could be fixed up, is not in your best interests. Honestly, all the park needs is a good facelift, and you'll already have a bunch of potential attractions in working order. You begin by getting a proper assessment of the repairs needed. Certain things are simply too worn down and have to go, meaning there's room for expansion. Most of the attractions are salvageable, and only require a bit of TLC. Of course, safety inspections also need to happen, and there's concessions and sanitation and general upkeep, and you'll also need to think about advertising. The more you think about it, the more you realize you might not have experience to keep up with everything. It might be a good idea to find someone in the industry who can help you, and you start putting the call out for interested parties while you're making general repairs to Pearl Peninsula. Time passes, but only two organizations respond to your call. You get contacted by an executive from BVN, a major television network, who's interested in talking to you about your park. At the same time, a letter in a black envelope arrives addressed to you from an organization called Spider, the Society for the Preservation and Invention of Dark Rides, that have a history in the theme park business, and claim they want to help restore the historical significance of Pearl Peninsula. You weigh your options. BVN could be a huge boon in terms of advertising and garnering attention. But spiders seem like they know more about the practical operation of an amusement park. Either way, you can only make the time to meet with one initially. If you choose to make BVN a priority, skip to Chapter 28. If you choose instead to meet with Spider, skip to Chapter 26. Chapter 5 All this involves way too much work, you realize. Building a theme park? Managing a theme park? No way, that's not your scene. They can't possibly keep that money from you. What's more, you can sell the park's pieces for scrap, and maybe sell the land to a developer. You hire a lawyer with your initial stipend to find a way to legally finagle your aunt's inheritance to you. Weeks are spent working out the finer points. But only after you've delved into things do you realize that the will states in fine print that, should you decline to go through with the park-building plan, the inheritance will pass to someone else, as dictated by the trust fund. By the time this dawns on you, it's too late. A distant cousin has risen to the challenge, and Pearl Peninsula has reopened to great success, working with groups like Spider and Tycoon Industries to get the park on the map. You wasted all this money on a lawyer, and there was never a genuine case to begin with. Now you're back where you started, and the money is gone. Well, on the bright side, your cousin does give you an annual pass to the theme park, so there's that at least. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 6 Building a number of smaller rides should help establish your reputation as a family park, and is probably a safer investment than putting all your hopes on one roller coaster. Now the question is, what kind of rides do you want to build? You brainstorm on this for a bit, and then draw up some plans before breaking ground. It is a shame you tore most of the old park down, but you figure some up-to-date versions of classic rides will work best. Slowly it starts to come together. A miniature railroad to take guests around your park, a merry-go-round to mark the park's center, an artificial lake with swan boats, some spinning rides for some low-level thrills, a hedge mage for guests to explore, a spook house with an updated light gun game built in. All of it efficient, and all of it within your budget. Soon you're ready to open your park, and the initial test crowds come to check it out. At first, there's a decent surge in positive reviews, but soon attendance begins to drop. Reviews and comments that come to say things like quaint, bland, and dull. Clearly, there's something missing. Taking a look at the place, you do realize that you probably could have done something better. Other than basic landscaping and gardening with a few painted buildings here and there, your park is looking pretty vanilla. Perhaps there's a way you could beautify your park even more. Make it look nicer so it has more appeal. Alternatively, you're making enough money now that you could likely start building some more thrilling rides. You did decide against a Mega Roller Coaster in the beginning, but you could build at least a nice fun one now. If you decide to make your park more eye-catching with some sort of theme, skip to Chapter 9. If you decide it's time to up the ride ante, skip to Chapter 8. Chapter 7 Who needs General Rides when today's kids are looking for the next big, heart-stopping thrill? A big, awesome roller coaster is the way to go. And with enough word of mouth about it, Pearl Peninsula will surely grow. A name change is in order, though. To better capture the extreme nature of your park, Pearl Peninsula. Yes, that's a name that implies the excitement and adrenaline you'll offer. Without further delay, you start drawing up ideas for a coaster doing research and taking a look at what other theme parks are doing with their big coasters. You decide this one needs to be a landmark, one that circles and zigzags around the entire peninsula, with plenty of twists, turns, loops, and corkscrews. The sky's the limit at this stage. Meanwhile, you start laying the groundwork around Peril Peninsula, putting things in place for shops, concessions, and restrooms. You haven't exactly decided on a the theme yet, other than thrill rides, but you figure you cross that bridge when you get to it. For now, you're getting your schematics arranged and narrowing down the design for your ultimate roller coaster, the mother of peril. One bright day, you show up on site with your blueprints, ready to chart the lay of the land. You weave around the construction crews until you reach the area you've slated for the coaster's construction. You're surprised when you see that someone is already there, looking around with diligence. He looks like a beach bum with his khaki shorts, flip flops, and Hawaiian shirt. His hair and beard are so wild, you can barely see the details of his face in the sun's glare. When he spots you, he smiles and saunters over like he's known you his entire life. Hey man, you were charged around here? Yes. Heard this place is getting a facelift, man. I gotta say, it's wild to see it like this. Came out here ages ago, used to ride the old Razor Racer coaster. (laughs) Good times, man. Grinning he thrusts a hand in your direction. Names Otto... Automobile. Nice to meet ya. Before you can even register what's going on, Otto is peering over your shoulder at your blueprints. His smile vanishes back into his beard. Uh oh, Not bad, kid, not bad. But it won't work like that. You gotta bank that curve there, and you're never gonna have enough force to make that curve too <laughs> fluid. <laughs> this is a rough draft, right? You're on the right track, but this definitely needs some fine tuning. He chuckles. Good thing I turned up in that case. I might be able to help you out. From his pocket, Otto produces a battered business card and hands it to you. I'm a thrill ride designer by trade. He explains. Helped build some pretty mean coasters back in my day, but only because I'm a thrill-seeker hire. I've been around the track a few times, so to speak, and I know what works and what doesn't. Coasters are my forte, my zen, and I can tell you're aiming for something big. You got heart, kid, but I got experience. You want to make this a coaster utopia? Hey, so do I. I want to offer you a deal. Make me your partner, count me in, and give me a cut of the profits, let's say 40% and I'll help you make the peninsula into a mecca for thrill freaks. With my rides in your park, we'll be unstoppable. What do you say? The sudden silence is refreshing gives you a moment to think. There's something weird about this auto guy. Though his name rings a bell from your coaster research, 40% of your future business is a bit steep at this stage, and you're pretty sure that you can keep working until you get the design of the mother apparel perfect. Still, Otto might not be blowing smoke, as it were, and he does seem to have an eye for detail. Maybe it would make it easier. It would free you up to make sure everything else in the park gets set up smoothly too. If you decide to stick to your own plans and decline Otto's offer, skip to Chapter 13. If you decide to accept Otto as your new partner, skip to Chapter 14. Chapter Eight. More rides are not a bad thing, and if people really wanted to look at scenery, they could go to another park. Here at Pearl Peninsula, It's going to be all about choosing your own ride experience. First, you set about making some roller coasters. A moderately sized wild mouse coaster with lots of sharp turns and steep drops, which you call Seahawk. You also build a short, launched coaster with a loop on the opposite side of the park, just to space things out. Riders get shot forward at high speed, go through a loop and up an incline, till gravity takes hold and they go backwards, through the loop and back to the station. You call this one the Rip Curl. Next, you get a few thrill rides worked in. A freefall tower, a Gravitron, all sorts of whirling, spinning attractions to generate high energy excitement. Maintaining all these rides is going to cost a fair amount, but you're confident the financial returns from having a more balanced park should make up for it. And as you learn when you reopen your park, it does. Now that Pearl Peninsula has more attractions on a whole, guests have a lot more to do. And your park value goes up. The old complaints about the scenery still remain, but you weren't going for a theme park at this point anyway, and apparently neither are the people who just want to ride the rides. All goes well, and when the family trust sees that you've met your aunt's criteria, the rest of her inheritance is given to you. An amount of money to make your head spin. Now you have a healthy park with room to grow and places to expand, even if it is fairly generic. Maybe it wasn't quite what you envisioned, but hey, at least you got money and time on your side now, right? This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter One. Chapter Nine. Even if your park is more of an amusement park, You could stand to take it up a notch, and make it a theme park. Now though, what kind of theme park do you want to focus on? There's loads of options. For the sake of time, you narrow it down to a handful. Since Pearl Peninsula is oceanfront, a bit of nautical flair can do the park some good. With some pirates and swashbuckling thrown in for good measure. Pirates are always it. Or maybe you can go with something gentler, like a fairy tale vibe, and put more emphasis on making Pearl Peninsula a park for little kids. Then again, you could simply save your money and just try to make general beautification happen to your park. If you like the idea of a pirate theme, skip to chapter 10. If you think making the park appeal more to kiddies is better, skip to chapter 12. Or if you simply want to improve the landscaping and gardening of your park, skip to chapter 11. Chapter 10. Time to put on your best pirate hat and get to work. You make a few plans and do some research. And after closing the park for a planned month of theme changes, you set to work with your design. It doesn't take you long to get into the spirit of things, as you get your park to look more like an old ramshackle town. A salty seaport taken over by scurvy-ridden sea rovers. Your park entrance becomes a beached pirate vessel. A gaping hole in the HOLE allowing guests to pass through the shipwreck and into your main midway, where at the end, the merry-go-rounds animals have become various marine creatures and rowboats circling to a jaunty sea shanty. Your hedge mage instead becomes a series of dungeon passages and caverns with all sorts of alcoves and grottos to find, filled with skeletons and hidden treasure. The lagoon with its swamp boats now lets guests row out while avoiding splashes from stray cannonballs fired from a pirate slope. And your mini-thrill rides take on new names like south sea squall and blackbeard's revenge when your park does reopen it's a huge success guests immediately love the fun and immersion of the theming and start spreading the word about the fun pirate adventure at pearl peninsula what's more you also had the foresight to make your food and souvenirs also stick to the buccaneer aesthetic and those help boost your park's value you even hire a pirate band the free booter crooners, to entertain guests daily with their silly swashbuckling antics and songs of the sea. With your park's popularity on the rise and plenty of room for expansion, the trust finally gives you the rest of your aunt's inheritance. Now you're sitting pretty on a tidy sum of money, but you feel like the work on your pirate haven has only just begun. With your fresh plunder, it's time to start building more rides, and you're well on your way to becoming a theme park paragon. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1.
2: Chapter 11
3: All it's going to take is a little more care given to Pearl Peninsula's grounds, and you should be fine. You do your homework, and start studying the finer points of landscaping, gardening, and botanica. And set about beautifying your park. Luckily, the park can stay open while you're doing this, and you start to make some good changes. In fact, you really do start to get into it. Maybe being a landscape designer is more your style. Soon you're taking extra care of your vistas, watching for sight lines from rides, and choosing seasonal flora to make the most colorful impact. None of this really helps your business grow, but the park is doing all right enough that your family trust decides you've met the goals for your aunt's inheritance. With a surprising amount of cash now under your belt, you can't really see yourself needing to run a theme park anymore. But instead, you see a career as someone who works in making parks. You end up donating Pearl Peninsula to the county, and what was once a paid amusement park becomes a public park, with plenty of natural scenery and a few pay-to-ride gentle rides for those visiting. It seems to be the right move, and soon you're being invited to beautify other parks around the country. You take to this with gusto. In a roundabout way, you found a new calling. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 12. Your park is pretty much all gentle rides anyway, so why not make it feel gentle altogether? It's more cost-effective, and you'll bring in the right sort of crowd for the park. Your marketing analysis begins right away, and you decide to make it as fun and non-threatening as possible. Soon, your park is full of storybook buildings, giant toadstools, smiling soft teddy bears, and friendly faces. The castle with pointed minarets serves as your new park entrance, and the sound of soft nursery rhymes echoes through your park. Everything is safe, secure, and whimsical. Of course, your analysis also says that certain rides are no good, so many will have to be closed until better replacements can be found. General crowds that liked your park before are quickly jaded by the decor, while concerned parents find their kids making a fuss because everything feels too boring. The littlest children can only ride a few of the rides and soon you realize that you probably targeted the wrong audience by trying to dumb things down for little kids. Still, It barely meets the legal criteria for your aunt's inheritance, and you get the money. By now, though, you're pretty fed up with the park business, too, and decide to sell the land to a developer who wants to build condominiums on prime oceanfront property. You have enough to live comfortably for the foreseeable future. And yet, you wonder, could I have done better at this theme park business? Who knows? Perhaps you should try again someday. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one.
2: Chapter 13
3: You tell Otto thanks, but no thanks. You've got this in the bag, and you want to stick to your own vision. Otto sighs and shakes his head, but he doesn't seem mad. Ah, well that's too bad, kid. Well, here's hoping everything goes well for you. Good luck. And with that, he sticks his hands in his pockets and trudges away, leaving you alone with your blueprints. You get back to work on your design right away, investing nearly all your time into your research and studying the physics and force of roller coasters. Some of it is hard to grasp, but you do your best to come up with something cool and exciting. It's not long before you have a design that you're happy with and you green-light the actual construction of the Mother Apparel. It's a glorious sight, watching twisted steel and curving metal rise into the sky above your amusement park. You make sure every detail is accounted for, that it matches your design to the letter. It's expensive, but you've already invested so much into this that you have to make sure it doesn't fail. And when it finally finishes construction, you're sure it's going to be the ultimate thrill ride in the nation. Word has been getting around, too and soon there's a buzz surrounding Peril Peninsula and its signature attraction. Any funds that don't go into the Mother of Peril are diverted into simpler projects. Making sure there's a few other rides and basic attractions keep your guests happy, fed, and relieved. Theming is sparse, but who cares about that when they're just here for the adrenaline rush? Initial test runs of the coaster go well, and it passes all safety inspections. You're ready to open to the public. Opening day arrives and guests trickle into your park. Soon, long lines have formed, especially for the Mother of Peril. You stand at the ride station, waiting to be among the first lucky guests to ride, feeling excited and nervous at the same time. You clamber into the car as your initial thrill-seekers pile in, pull in the safety bar and give a thumbs-up to the ride operator. The car lurches forward and... It's the most amazing, mind-numbing, uber-intense ride you've ever been on, and it's glorious. Every loop, dip, dive, and spin is your own doing, your own work, and it feels like a dream to finally whip along the smooth steel track. Your heart is in your mouth, a scream of joy on your lips. When the ride ends, you can't wait to go again. You look around for the reaction of your guests, and are glad to see many looking shocked, awed, and delighted. You did everything right, and... And that's when the first one throws up. Then a second. Uh, then a third. It seems like nearly everyone who rode your ride is suddenly losing their lunch. And those that aren't step back in disgust. Your heart falls as you notice that it's not just them. Cute covers the path of your park, and guests are turning green left and right. It turns out that you were so focused on your coaster, so keen on making sure it was perfect. But you didn't manage the other details as well as you should have, specifically the food served in your park. Uh, something's in it, and your guests have suffered a bout of food poisoning, had nothing to do with your ride, but the damage is done. Opening day turns into an absolute disaster, with sick and angry guests leaving in droves. Word spreads, and business vanishes. You're forced to close Peril Peninsula down before it's even properly begun unable to escape the stigma leveled at you. Your coaster, your perfect mother apparel, stands alone and silent-in-the-sea air. Hopefully someone will come along and buy the property from you, but you can kiss your aunt's inheritance goodbye. Tough luck, but at least you can go back to your old day job. It was fun while it lasted, but you think you'll leave the park management to the professionals from now on. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 14. Having a partner would be pretty helpful. An auto does seem to have experience. You decide that ultimately, it'll work out for the best to have him on this deal, though you do manage to talk him down to 30%. You drive a hot bargain, he laughs. But I'll take it. Really, I'm in it for the fun. So, partner, let's take a look at those plans. Over the next few weeks, you and Otto meet constantly to go over designs and tweaks for the mother apparel. Otto demonstrates his inherent knowledge of coaster design, yet he never belittles your suggestions, only offers pointers and advice. He's actually pretty good at what he does. Eventually you let them take charge of the design of the coaster while you oversee the construction of the rest of the park. Luckily things have been going smoothly and you're able to work out quality control when it comes to what food and drinks you sell and what items can be bought in gift shops. After a few months the Mother Apparel stands ready to be tested for the first time. It towers in the sky, the biggest landmark for miles around and the symbol of Peril Peninsula a mass of curved and looping steel with support spread across the park. Both you and Otto take part in the first human test. The ride lurches to life, and suddenly you're away on the most intense white knuckle experience you've ever had. You know the general layout, but there's just enough sudden turns, dips and angles thrown in that you're caught by surprise. Otto for his part just yells and laughs throughout the experience. When you return to the station, Otto flashes you a thumbs up.
1: hoo
3: Man, what a wild ride we made. This is gonna be far out, I think people are gonna love it. Indeed, word has already gotten out about the local amusement park opening, and already people are calling and asking about tickets. But as you shakily step out of the coaster train, Otto points out to your nearly finished park. We're looking good so far. But I think there's still something missing, you know? Other than a bad mother behind us, we don't have much else to offer. We gotta toss in a little something extra. Otto makes a good point, and it's something you've been thinking about. The roller coaster is the main selling point, but it has got to be more to Paro Peninsula than a single mammoth coaster and a bunch of concessions. Your funds are nearly exhausted, so the last push has got to fit your budget as well. If you think that putting an emphasis on more rides is key, skip to chapter 15. If you'd rather spruce up the park's landscaping and theming, skip to chapter 16. Chapter 15. You tell Otto that more rides are definitely the way to go. It might be a bit risky, but you figure you'll start small and hope the mother apparel is enough to draw a crowd to recoup any funds. You and Otto once again put your heads together and think, making plans. The balance of smaller, more efficient rides and attractions should work well enough. A mix of gentle and thrilling. You think about some of the rides that were here before you raised the park and draw inspiration from them. Building a few theme park staples like a merry-go-round, a scrambler, a ferris wheel, and bumper cars, just to name a few. You even have enough of a financial cushion to have auto designed and build a little wild mouse coaster with dips and turns to suit your needs. It doesn't take long, and when you open you have a functional little park with one massive roller coaster that quickly accumulates lines that last an hour or more. Thankfully the other rides have enough of a draw to keep things balanced. But you know you're going to need more coasters if you want to meet your goals. Auto feels the same way. And tells you so one day while the two of you munch churros and watch a train of screaming guests spiral through the mother apparel overhead. I'm hoping this is enough to put us on the right track. He says, gesturing the park at large as he brushes cinnamon dust from his beard. This skyline is empty of some serious steel. The mother is a beaut, but we're gonna need to get cracking on some more coasters. So, Chief, what's the next step? You do have some ideas about where to go next. The park is doing okay, but you still haven't quite regained your investments yet, and you realize you might be undercharging. It might be a good idea to raise prices on your park admission and concessions, just a bit, but you could also lower them and instead start charging a small admission fee for rides. There's enough people crowding the mother apparel alone that you couldn't add a tidy sum. If you decide to charge more for admission and food, skip to Chapter 21. If you decide to charge a small fee for rides, skip to Chapter 20. Chapter 16. It's called a theme park for a reason, right? You figure giving Peril Peninsula a better aesthetic should be the way to go, since it'll give the place a good tone and attitude. With that in mind, you set out to give the place some finishing touches. A bit of a heavy metal flair, an atmosphere of wildness, recklessness, and danger. You commission artists to do steel art on the sides of your park's buildings, murals and scenes reminiscent of 80's album covers, and blast rock music from speakers all around your park. You get auto to suggest a couple of additional rides that can be built for cheap, but have loads of theming tied to them. The laser tag arena and a ripsaw built as if it's some maniacal device in the midst of a junkyard, complete with ruined cars and smoke effects. Slowly, your park takes on a pseudo-gritty urban vibe, and it seems to work with the looming monolith that is the mother of peril. Opening day arrives and your guests pour in, most making a beeline for the roller coaster. You and Otto congratulate each other on a job well done as the line for the roller coaster gets longer and longer. It seems to be the only thing people are going to. In fact, it is the only thing. It's the big draw, but it seems that there's not enough to do around your park to keep the thrill riding crowd occupied. Your other smaller attractions also balloon with long lines and frustrated guests. Oh, sure, the theming is nice. But you've pulled in the crowd that cares more about the experience than the look. As days go by, crowds dwindle, and people complain that there needs to be more rides. Trouble is, you're not turning enough of a profit yet to build anything else. Even if you wanted to, more rides are out of your grasp. Otto seems to take it in stride. Guess we should have stuck with what we know, huh? kids these days, though, they don't care about theme as much. As business continues to decline, you wonder if there's any way to salvage all this. That's when fortune seems to smile on you. Cerebral Vortex, the black metal group known for their mind-melting riffs, pays Paro Peninsula a visit, and they dig the place. Lead vocalist Sam Strepthroat braids, vlogs at the park, though small, is a ton of fun for its thrilling rides and epic scenery. Hoping to cash in on this, you and other arrange a meeting with the band and their manager, Patricia Hinckley. The meeting, held in the private rooms of Fiasco, the park's big restaurant, goes over fairly well. Though you openly admit that the park is in dire straits, a fact that Strepfroat isn't too happy about. This place is too cool to close, he says, glancing at his manager through his dreadlocked hair. Exactly replies Patricia, a round woman who is all business. Cerebral Vortex's popularity is growing and we want to make you an offer. We're interested in buying the park from you and rebranding it to the band's name. She names a figure. And it's a sum of money that is hard to pass up. Otto doesn't seem pleased, though. That's all well and good, he replies to the offer. But I want to offer something different. Let's say maybe you guys instead perform a few concerts here to draw some crowds. You become official sponsors of Peril Peninsula and in turn we give you a regular performance space and a lifetime pass to the park. Win-win, right? Everyone turns to look at you, wondering what you might consider. Both options have an appeal. You could walk away now with a tidy sum and leave the management of the park to someone else. But it does feel a bit like throwing in the towel. Otto's plan has merit, and you might owe him that much for all his help. But there's no guarantee it'll make a difference for the park. And you risk losing more for it. If you want to sell the park to Cerebral Vortex, skip to Chapter 17. If you'd rather see if a concert from the band will be the shot in the arm your park needs, skip to Chapter 18. Chapter 17 You have to wonder, as you make the agreement with Patricia and sign Sinovaparro Peninsula, if you were ever really into this whole park building thing in the first place. Sure, it was fun while it lasted, but the management part was much harder than you anticipated. It might feel like throwing in the towel, but at least you walk away with enough money to keep you comfortable for the foreseeable future, and you met the requirements for your great-aunt's will and thus receive the rest of her inheritance. Luckily, Apparel Peninsula seems to benefit under its new owners, who renamed the park Vortex Views. The band plays regular shows there to draw crowds, and they make enough money to keep building rides, which Otto, who has stayed on as a main designer, takes great pride in. Really, you're having more fun going back and just riding the rides than you were running things, and it's nice to know you helped give the place its start. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 18 Otto does make a good point, and you agree that it might be a good way to generate both revenue and interest. What's better, a strip the third's the idea. Between the three of you, you convince Patricia to go with the plan. It's only a matter of time before agreements are made, hands are shaken, and the date is set. The weeks leading up to the concert are a blur of activity as you talk with the band about what they need to make this show as spectacular as possible. You take what's left of your funds and invest in making an arena, and work its theme to go with that of the rest of your park. Fog machines, lasers, and pyrotechnics get installed, and you specifically make space for a designated mosh pit. For kicks, Otto dubs it the Paraplex, and the name sticks. The band loves it as soon as they see it, and they start jamming in the Paraplex to prepare for the concert. You can't help but feel nervous, as it feels like every move you've made thus far has been a gamble. But Otto seems relaxed and cool about it, confident this plan will work. On the night of the concert, the park fills the capacity with fans of Cerebral Vortex, even before the band starts playing. Your park staff is run ragged trying to deal with the onslaught, but soon, everyone is piling into the paraplex to see the band play. You and Otto sit in the lighting booth and watch the lights dim. The band rises from the fog on stage, strip gives a signature metal growl, and the crowd goes absolutely berserk with excitement. The show is a smash hit and profits soar. The crowd loves it, the band loves it, and their manager eagerly asks when another show can be done. You and Otto exchange a knowing look and talk about your next booking. Alas, the money you make from the show is not enough to run a theme park full-time, but you have a new vision for Para Peninsula, a major concert space that happens to also contain one of the tallest, fastest, most thrilling rides in the country. With Cerebral Vortex as regulars and several other bands jockeying for booking, you can open on select nights and keep the cost of things down. You can even build a new ride every so often, just to make things easier, and Otto is happy enough to design them with you. It's unorthodox, sure, but at least you've managed to bring the rock to your park. And you have free seats to thrash to some of the best metal bands in the world. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 19. Once again, Otto has a good point. Maybe greed was getting to your head, and you decided to be the bigger person and lower the food prices to more reasonable and affordable levels. Mission tickets and gift shop things will stay the same, but everyone needs to eat, right? Thankfully, this works out better than you would hope. Once the prices go down, the sales go up, and pretty soon, Peril Peninsula receives positive reviews about how you buck the theme park trend of charging ludicrous costs for concessions. Attendance goes up, and your park has begun making a name for itself. When the Trust Fund acknowledges this, you receive the rest of your aunt's inheritance, and suddenly a lot of your business worries vanish with such an influx of wealth. To celebrate, you and Otto grab a bite at one of your own restaurants and start discussing your next big roller coaster project. Sometimes, the simplest solutions work the best. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 20. Tickets for rides are a pretty novel idea, and maybe Peril Peninsula could benefit from that business model. You might be able to get more people in the gate if it doesn't cost them an arm and a leg, especially when the main draw is the Mother Apparel. The system gets put in, and you charge a much lower rate for admission. While the Mother Apparel charges $3 a ride, the rest of the rides have tickets for around a dollar or less. Luckily, this seems to be a really cool move on the part of the average guest. You see it take effect in just the way you want it. Numbers go up and people spread to more of your rides. Your finances grow. The Family Trust Fund finally deems criteria met and you get your aunt's inheritance. Huh. Smooth move there, after all. Aldo says to you on the day your huge amount of money comes in. So, we got the cashola, so let's get on a (laughs) roller-coaster.
1: Get it? Oh yeah.
3: You do get it. You've been thinking about how different your business model has become compared to other major amusement parks, and how, if presented right, you can charge a small amount for darn near anything and maintain a decent cash flow. The people will buy it, because they're not spending a lot of cash just to get into your park. And really, the masses aren't terribly bright. But is that the right thing to do? Not everyone is a rube, after all. Plus, if all keeps going smoothly, you'll have your aunt's inheritance in no time. If you start looking for ways to charge extra for your park, skip to Chapter 23. If you decide to leave well enough alone and see where things go from here, skip to Chapter 24. Chapter 21. Charging for rides seems like a thing only carnivals do, and you're running a serious operation here. You figure asking more for admission is fair, especially when the money is going to let you build more rides. The new prices go live pretty soon, and though there's some initial disappointment and general complaining, attendance doesn't waver as much as you might have thought. The renewed cash flow is pretty helpful, and you feel like you're pretty close to getting your aunt's inheritance. Then you notice that though admissions are still good, your food sales are dropping. No one seems to want to buy $8 popcorn and $11 hamburgers, and you wonder why. Other theme parks get away with those prices all the time, so why can't you? It's Otto who notices it at first. Hey, you look, pal, he says. I know you're big on getting folks to buy your food, but people are getting wise and packing their own. I've seen them coming into the park with wrapped sandwiches and thermoses. It's picnic central right now. <laughs> he chuckles. It's smarter than really. Once again, you have some decisions to make, and you ask Otto to weigh in. Way I see it, he muses, you should just bite the bullet and lower your food prices. Even I think they're way too high. Of Course, you could make it so people can't bring food into your park so they have no choice but to buy. But then you'd really have to tighten security and that's another fair cost. It's your call, boss. If you figure out a suggestion is fair and you're willing to lower your concession prices, skip to chapter 19. If you stick with your own plan and beef up security, skip to Chapter 22.
2: Chapter 22
3: This is a matter of business at this point. You have a part to run, and if people aren't willing to pay, then you keep them away. It starts with you putting up signs. No outside food or drinks allowed in the park. When this only does very little to change things, you take the next step. You start hiring sharp-eyed security guards, and get your employees to look for anyone smuggling food. Bag checks are instated at the entrance, and anyone bringing their own food or drink are told they have to eat outside. When food sales still don't meet expectations, despite the fact that the trash bins in your park are overflowing with contraband food taken by security, you refuse to admit defeat. You instead install security cameras and enforce harsher measures. Anyone caught with outside food will immediately be banned from the park. You have people searched as they try to enter. Complaints come in, but you don't care. Other parks get away with charging a high cost for their eats, and you will be no exception. This is getting ridiculous. Otto tells you one day... It's downright Orwellian out there, man. I got frisk coming into the park because one of your goons saw a candy bar wrapper in my pocket. And I'm your partner. You try to explain to Otto that this is something that has to be done. People can't be trusted just to support Paral Peninsula anymore. Give them an niche, and they'll walk all over you. You have a business to run. Otto looks you in the eye. Then you can run this business by yourself, he says finally. I don't jive with this. And you're going to go all control freak on this operation. I want no part of it. I quit. You're stung by Otto's sudden departure, but it somehow stings more when it makes you realize that you've let the need for turning a profit crowd out the need to build an amazing theme park. By then, it's too late. Your park has an overwhelmingly bad rep for its pushy security and harsh measures, and attendance dwindles. Try as you might, even admitting your mistake and lowering the cost of things helps not. Eventually, you have to sell the park to rival company Tycoon Industries. You make the minimum to get your aunt's inheritance, but it feels like a hollow victory. To add insult to injury as you leave the park for the last time, security stops you and confiscates the leftovers from the lunch you brought that day. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 23. The more you charge, the less has to come out of your own pocket to keep the park operational. You figure you'll do it only as long as it takes to get the inheritance. Perhaps it goes to your head a little bit when you start charging a nickel for people to use the restrooms in your park. And though some complain, you still get cash for it. After a week of this, you raise it to a dime. More complaints, but no dip in attendance. You can hardly believe it. This prompts you to look into even more ways to skim a little extra dough off your patrons. You add special fast lanes on queues for those who are willing to pay to get there, while in the meantime looking for loopholes to make people pay a small fee for standing in line for more than five minutes. You put coin slots on your drinking fountains. You put lids in your trash cans that can only be opened with five cents and charge a fine for anyone seen throwing trash on the ground. Aggravated feedback starts coming in in droves. But what do you care? You're making bank. And are able to start buying yourself all kinds of amazing things. A small fortune is yours. But none of this sits well with Otto. Man, you've been more focused on being a huckster than making a legit park lately, he complains to you one day. It's getting way too bogus out there, and you didn't consult me on any of this. You tell Otto you're the one in charge, and if he wants to complain about it, he can leave. Ah, there's the rub, he replies with a shake of his shaggy head. You remember our contract, right? I still own 30% of the park and the proceeds. Not only does this violate some basic agreement, but I haven't had a check from you in weeks. I'm pulling in my title here. And either you take this stuff out, or I'm taking the park. You laugh at this. Really genuinely, mockingly laugh. You tell him to take you to court if he has to, but you're not budging. What does Otto know about finer points of a legal system? Well, quite a bit actually. The trial is a total bust, and everyone who has grown to hate your policies turns up to support Otto rather than you. Otto also makes a compelling case against you using legalese that you never would have expected coming from his mouth. In the end, the court finds you in violation of contract and basic human decency, and the settlement sees Otto taking over Paral Peninsula, where he promptly fires you. What's worse, Otto gets your aunt's inheritance for being the one to fix up the park. Imperial Peninsula goes on to build a coaster utopia while you have to deal with angry glares and steadily dwindling finances. Perhaps you'll be more careful next time and not let green cloud your vision. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 24 it seems like the smart thing to do to keep the park as guest friendly as possible. And that includes going easy on their wallets. You have more important things to worry about anyway, like that sweet new roller coaster you and Otto want to start building, and how you're riding the plot of land across the road. Thankfully, it's been a good season for you. Your rides are good enough that you get repeat ticket sales by locals, who in turn spread the word to friends and relatives about the thrills that await them in Paral Peninsula. And what's better, the family trust has finally deemed your park worthy of receiving the rest of your aunt's impressive inheritance. Suddenly, money is no object. Shortly after you get the good news, Otto arrives to work one morning with a fresh set of blueprints and a big smirk on his face. Oh, congratulations, boss. I just heard about the pile of cash you got and figured now we're good to give the mother apparel a partner in crime. I got hit with a real neat idea and a dream last night, but wanted to see what you thought. You can't help but smile as Otto unrolls the plans in your desk and starts asking you for input on loops, versions, and corkscrew turns. Together, you and he are on the right track to becoming theme park paragons. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter One. Chapter 25 With one final reckless bit of strength, you loosen your arm just enough from the suckered tentacle's grip in order to throw the pearl. It arcs through the air and lands in the hollow stone basin, coming to rest at the bottom. It glows a brilliant white before the globe dome snaps shut over it. Your aunt's ghost screams in rage, the sound of it making your very soul coil. The tentacle goes slack as its power fades, and you plummet towards certain doom, either the rickety mine ride track or the black water. You close your eyes and wait for the end. A sudden jolt sends your stomach churning, and you realize you've landed in one of the mine carts. Otto is beside you. How was that for a good catch? He crows as the cart lurches down a hill and into a tunnel. Looking back, you see the cavern begin to collapse. The ghost of your aunt shrieking as her spectral form starts to unravel. HANG ON! Otto cries as your car makes a hard banged turn and careens up a hill. The momentum just such as you avoid the reach of another flailing tentacle reaching from the inking water beneath the track. You bash through a pair of doors and see the night sky above you. Just before the track ends abruptly and you are thrown clear, getting a mouthful of sand in the process. You sit up and realize you're back on the beach. In the distance, the hideous eldritch tentacles gripping Pearl Peninsula slowly slide back into the sea with a gurgle. You spot Carl running along the beach toward you, bruised and disheveled but grinning. You did it, he yells. The curse is lifted. Uh, we, we both did it. Oh, groans Otto, sitting up in the sand. Whoa, talk about a wild ride. ain't got some new ideas from that. Just, you know, less secret haunted caves. You smile at your two friends and nod. There's a lot of work to be done, but your aunt's inheritance has been put to rest. Pearl Peninsula can be rebuilt, and you are finally on the path to becoming a true theme park paragon. This path ends here. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 26 What does BVN know about amusement parks anyway? You were never a big fan of Bainbridge County, the network's most famous show, or its subsequent modern-day reboot. Spider seems like the more fitting of the two options, and you send them a reply to the positive. Shortly thereafter, you receive another black envelope with another missive, saying that Spider Chairman Carl Trimper will be happy to meet with you to inspect Pearl Peninsula at your earliest convenience. Everything gets sorted out, and you meet Carl Trimper two days later, right outside the old haunted hotel ride. The Spider Chairman is there before you arrive, staring at the giant skeleton on the roof, with his arms folded. He grins broadly when he spots you, his handlebar mustache and top hat making him look like some sort of old-timey ringmaster. Fantastic to meet you, he says, clapping you on the shoulder. I must say, this wonderful specimen of a dark ride has caught my attention. Mind if we walk through it while we discuss business arrangements? That seems like an odd request, and you ask him why. Dark rides are my specialty, he replies. I want to see what it's like, and what sort of shape it's in. Should give me an idea what needs to be done. Here... I even brought flashlights, just in case you don't have power restored. Begrudgingly, you unlock the ride and wander along its track route with Carl. The power is indeed out, and the flashlights only make the place spookier as you move around stopped cars, push through crash doors, and pass prop furniture and static figures of monsters, ghouls, and phantoms that seem to have checked in at the haunted hotel and never checked out. All the while, Carl takes a long look at things and fingers his mustache fascinating <laughs> he says this is definitely a classic a little dated maybe but there's a charm here you can tell the ride has a story to it he turns to you and holds the flashlight under his face making him look even more like Victorian villain I'll get to the point spider has a vested interest in the art of the dark ride whether old or new They are a vanishing thing. What with all the obsession with thrill rides these days, and our goal is to preserve vintage spook houses as much as create new ones. Here's what I'm thinking. Spider is willing to help you fix up your park. And I would like to stay on as a creative consultant. All we ask for in return is that you give us the haunted hotel. We'll fix it up and operate it ourselves, and any proceeds derived by it, and only by it, go to Spider. Carl extends a hand. What do you think? Do we got a deal? You look at the hand and the grinning showman behind it. Maybe it's the shadows and the way the guy addresses too, but you can't help but feel that there's something more going on with this deal that seems too good to be true. You can't imagine the Haunted Hotel be much more than a fun distraction. Besides, the ride sits on some decent area that could be better utilized by other, more thrilling rides. But he could be completely sincere. In which case, you'd have an experienced theme park recognition backing your restoration efforts when you, yourself, don't know much about running a park. If all they want is to have control of one little ride, why not let them? If you decide to decline Carl's offer and see about negotiating some other deal, skip to Chapter 27. If you agree to Carl's terms and bring Spider on board, skip to Chapter 29. Chapter 27 You go with your gut on this one. If something is too good to be true, it usually is. And this guy seems like he's up to something. You tell Carl thanks, but no thanks and instead offered to at least dismantle the haunted hotel and sell it to Spider. Carl shakes his head and sighs. Oh, fair enough. It's too bad, though. I thought you might be on our side here. We could really have made this park something special. With one last smirk, Carl shuts his flashlight off, leaving you in total darkness. By the time you train your own light on the spot where he was, there's no one to be found. Just you, all alone in the depths of a silent old spook house. Needless to say, you dash out of there pretty quickly. You're not entirely sure what Carl meant, but you follow through with your end of the deal. The haunted hotel is carefully taken apart, and the whole thing is sent off to Spider. Now you have an extra bit of cash, and some more room to build, but no real starts yet. Maybe it's not too late to give BBN a call. To continue, skip to Chapter 28. Chapter 28 You meet with BVN's president a few days later at Pearl Peninsula. It does surprise you a little bit that when you call, the network wants to send its head honcho to meet you on your own turf. But you take it as a good sign that BVN means to take this seriously and find a way to sweeten the deal. The lady who meets you at the gate is a round woman with hair so white you imagine it to be platinum. She introduces herself with a big smile an enthusiastic hand and a bubbly, well howdy, my name's Tina, Tina Whitman, President and CEO of BVN. My land, you've got a nice bit of property here. The name does ring a bell. While you were never really into Bainbridge County, everyone knew the precious child who played the lovable Wendy. When you mentioned this Tina Giggles, <laughs> yep, that was me. Not a lot of young actors get a chance to get where I am today. So what are we waiting for? I'm ready for the grand tour. Wasting no time, you show Tina around the old midway. She seems to ooh and ah at every old booth and ride you come across, and lets out a little squeal of delight when she sees the carousel. Without prompting, she hops on one of the steel horses and whoops like a cowgirl. I gotta tell you, I'm loving this place. Tina gushes as you take her along the midway. Definitely needs some touch-ups, but gosh, you don't find an old charm like this in a lot of old parks these days. Reminds me of the time we shot that one episode at Mulligan Cove. Used to have a pretty nice little fairground there. But look, I can tell I've jarred your ear off enough. She cracks her knuckles as she says this. I'm speaking not just for me, but for the network when I say we definitely want to see this place spruced up and set running. We can offer you a partnership, advertise this place, and get the word out just as long as y'all are up for making sure our library shows get some representation here. Maybe you can make a ride or two based on something. It's a reasonable deal, you think. BVN is pretty old and trusted, and you're sure that having a network brand name back in your park can be nothing but beneficial, especially if you take some of their choicest and most loyal loved franchises and can make rides around them. The question is... Do you want to negotiate advertising rights with BVN and promote their shows while you theme the park? Or do you think the park would do better if BVM themes it off of their programs while you worry about everything else? You don't have the same emotional connection to the network shows as others do. And you're wondering if you're the right person to attempt theming attractions around such icons, especially Bainbridge County. If you want to negotiate an advertising deal with Tina, Skip to chapter 38. If you think letting BVN take the reins of theming your park is a good idea, skip to chapter 39. Chapter 29. The author is really too excellent to pass up, and you shake Carl's hand. Splendid! He says, We'll get things set up straight away and we'll have your park fixed and ready to go in no time at all. True to his word, within the next few days, you've got a list of priorities and a willing group of people, unusually dressed people like Carl. They seem to enjoy a somewhat dapper gothic look. The work begins not long after. Carl proves an invaluable asset. Offering advice and answering questions, but ultimately just acting as a guide to the nuances of restoring Pearl Peninsula. Some of the most dilapidated parts are torn out and cleared away, but anything that can be salvaged and fixed up is given the best restoration work possible. Meanwhile, Spider puts their own funds into the Haunted Hotel, giving the old Dark Ride some much needed TLC. When your park opens, it's advertised as a return to old glories. And you make sure to play up the nostalgia as per Carl's advice. Surprisingly enough, it does work. And the charm of a seaside amusement park brings in plenty of patrons eager to spend money to ride your rides and have a grand day out. On opening day, you wander amid all the crowd and enjoy your handiworks. So far, so good. Carl invites you to join him on the inaugural ride of the spiffed-up haunted hotel. And you gotta admit, you're really impressed. Many of the effects and props have been updated, but nothing feels replaced so much as plussed. The pop-up ghouls and falling stacks of barrels remain with their jump-scare fun, yet small details were taken here and there to make the ride have a more coherent story. A hotel for the supernatural and all the gags that can go with that idea. You tell Carl this when you exit the ride, and he beams. You see, this is the kind of work we do. We don't just fix up dock rides, we make them... more. The first few months of park operation go well, with Pearl Peninsula slowly getting a following. You're pretty sure your aunt's inheritance will be yours in no time. But first, you think it's time you made plans to expand the park. Carl, of course, is quick to propose a plan. We already have some fine attractions, but you know Spider's area of expertise, my friend. You can fill those gaps in your park with more quality dark rides, and we'll happily help you out there. I mean, the crowd loves what we've done with the Haunted Hotel. He does have a point. Surprisingly enough, the hotel has become one of your most popular rides. And having more attractions like that built by business pros is certainly tempting. On the other hand, one dark ride could be enough, and you could build a plethora of different rides for different thrills. Maybe even make room for another roller coaster. If you like Carl's plan and decide to build more dark rides, skip to Chapter 30. If you want to add a variety of rides and attractions, skip to Chapter 31. Chapter 30 If Spider can keep producing winners like the Haunted Hotel, then why not go for it? You tell Carl your game. He smirks and rubs his hands together eagerly. (laughs) Splendid. Let's get cracking then. Carl invites a few of the other chair people of Spider around to planning sessions, and you plot out what kind of themes you want for your rides and where to build them. Surprisingly, the majority of them aren't even spooky in design, but fit the caveat of a slow-moving indoor ride with lots of props and scenery. This gives you plenty to work with, and you settle on a few rides some of which are brand new, and some that Spider has acquired from other parks, which need a new home. You're able to keep the park open while the select rides are built. Buccaneer Bazaar, a pirate-themed boat ride, The Phantom Mine, where riders travel in ore cars through an eerie system of caves, Time Chase, an interactive, zany trip throughout history where riders join inter-chronological enforcement and shoot time-meddling targets with light guns, and Noah's Ark, a kind of classic fun house that guests can walk through. There's even more ideas on the drawing board, too. See, says Carl during the process. Dark rides can have some variety, too. When they do open, the new rides are very popular and well-praised for their attention to detail and classic fun factor. They generate a lot of attention and are all different enough from each other that no one thinks it's odd. Once again, Spider has gone above and beyond and created truly immersive and entertaining rides that you're sure will create fond memories for years to come. A few more months, though, and you realize attendance has stayed fairly moderate. Pearl Peninsula is not the smash hit you were hoping, and you find that you're not turning as much profit as you would like, and the family trust has yet to give you the rest of your aunt's inheritance. Oh, it's all the media's fault, grumbles Carl after the two of you do a trip around the park and listen to guest feedback. All the kids these days care about are cheap thrills. These rides we built are works of art, and what do I hear? Where are all the roller coasters? Ah! Ingrates. You have to calm Carl down with some choice words because people are staring. He does have a point, of course, and you can't help but agree with some of what he says. You tell Carl you've been toying with an idea. Since you're already fairly close to October by this point, you're thinking of giving the park a seasonally spooky overlay. Drawing in crowds for Halloween and creating a fright fest like you've heard other theme parks do. It has the potential to create a lot of buzz, and suits the theme of your old park quite well. Carl seems to like the idea. It has merit, he chuckles. I do love Halloween, as does Spider. Obviously, we could design the mazes and scare zones as well. It seems like a solid plan, but there are risks involved as well. You ask Carl what he might do. Truth be told, he says after a moment. I've long had a dream of having Spider run its own park. A dark ride haven. A place wholly dedicated to our cause. We would build old rides and conspire new ones. Sure, it would only draw a select crowd, but just imagine. In a strange way, this idea does sound kind of appealing. You would really only hit a particular market that way, but it would be fun and educational. Sort of like a museum. But you also think your Halloween idea is worth an honest try. Either way, you think Spider would agree to help. If you go with your Halloween plan, skip to Chapter 34. If you want to help Spider achieve their own goal of a dark ride-centric park, skip to Chapter 33. Chapter 31 You tell Carl thanks, but no thanks. One good dark ride is enough and you want to make sure your guests have some options when it comes to the rides. That space would be better used for our high-profile attractions like roller coasters. Carl sighs. That's a shame. Those rides are completely overrated in my opinion, but you're in charge here, so it's your call. Overrated or not, you build a few choice, updated rides and attractions in the open spaces, being careful to have them match aesthetically with the older rides of Pearl Peninsula. Go-karts here, oyster-shaped teacups there, and a lost freefall tower in the corner. You don't want to use up too much room yet, since you're still having space for another roller coaster to go with the revamped razor razor, but this seems a good start. Your park may be low-key right now, but you're slowly gaining ground. Then, only a few months in, the accidents start happening. Your merry-go-round is suddenly plagued with frequent breakdowns. The ferris wheel stops turning and won't start up again. Your freefall tower switches to a high-speed launch instead of a gradual drop and nearly sends your riders off into orbit. A mysterious fire nearly burns down your bumper cars, and to top it all off, a section of track on Razor Racer actually falls off, forcing you to shut down the ride and spend months repairing it. These all happen one right after the other over the course of a few weeks, and it's really starting to affect not just your business, but your peace of mind. The accidents seem random, and yet you can't help but feel that there's something more going on here than just a string of bad luck. To make matters worse, the safety inspectors have begun looking into it, and are breathing down your neck about closing a number of your rides, due to appalling safety measures until they are completely fit by their standards. Conferning Carl about this brings little comfort. I know we did as much fixing up as we could, he says. A lot of the rides themselves are fairly old, though. Improving the safety measures might be all you need. When you point out that some of your new rides have had problems too, he quirks an eyebrow. Are you thinking that it might be sabotage? A bit of a stretch, honestly. Who would want to do something like that? You're not sure, but you can't check the feeling someone is trying to do your park in. You'd best make a decision. So far, no one's been hurt, but who's to say that will last? If you think safety should be your main priority, skip to Chapter 32. If you invest your energy into looking for possible sabotage, skip to Chapter 35. Chapter 32 Carl might have the right idea. You've been relatively careful about safety up to this point, but perhaps not careful enough. If you want to keep going and avoid a lawsuit, it's best to appease the safety inspectors and make your park as accident-proof as possible. You beef up security a bit, though, just in case. With that taken care of, you make all the arrangements to retrofit your rides and attractions with more overarching safety measures and regulations. You don't have to worry too much about your general rides, but anything more intense than your clam cups needs a major upgrade. In fact, you start with the clam cups. First tightening them down so they can't spin as fast, and then adding seatbelts. From there it's a matter of dealing with anything that seems remotely like a hazard. The freefall tower's height is severely reduced. And guess who right, it gets strapped in with a padded harness, seatbelts, and a lap bar. Same with the ferris wheel, just in case. And the Razor Racer. Come to think of it, Motor rides would benefit from having at least three layers of padding on them. And maybe if you required the wearing of foam helmets. On all your rides. Safety gradually becomes your number one concern. And the inspectors love you for it. Your guests on the other hand, eh, start to feel pretty put on. Especially when your helmet policy hits for your general rides as well. One can never be too careful, but your ungrateful patrons seem to think you're overdoing it. They claim nothing is really fun anymore, that all the fast and fun rides have been dumbed down. But you know you're in the right here. You're just trying to make sure nothing bad ever happens to anything or anyone in your park. And soon enough, it's true. Once you start replacing all the staircases in your park with ramps, making minimum height requirements for all your attractions, and make a mandate that employees must triple check every single rider's safety restraints before a ride starts, guests begin leaving in droves. Nothing can stop the bad press you receive and business shrinks to nearly nothing. To the point where one day you open the park and no one shows up for a day. Then a week. You're ruined. Oh, tough luck, says Carl, putting a hand on your shoulder. But you know what kind of rides are pretty much safe no matter what? I'll give you a- Yeah, Carl, I get it. You startle yourself, breaking your usual silence. You're freaking obsessed with dark rides. Jeez. You end up selling Pearl Peninsula to Spider to do what they will with it. Let them build their weird little dark ride utopia. Your aunt's further inheritance is not worth the stress nor the shame of trying to deal with them or the safety people. You're done. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 33 Spider's vision, you come to realize, might actually not be that much different from your own. The idea of a dark ride haven doesn't sound half bad, and if Spider can maintain the quality it has so far, then it could be a hit regardless. You tell Carl you're interested in the possibility of having the park go that way. Carl is elated, but you are quick to point out you haven't made a final decision yet. Fair enough, he says with a smile. I suggest, though, that you come to meet with the rest of the society at our next meeting. They might be able to sway you yet, and you could learn a bit more about us as a whole. That might not be a bad idea, either. You say you're interested. The next night, you find yourself riding in the backseat of Carl's vintage black car, which drives through the gates of an old seaside manor house, all austere and gothic. Its windows glowing with orange light. Inside, a party of people mingle and laugh, sip cocktails, and admire the strange assortment of ride props and old attraction posters from a hundred different amusement parks. Carl introduces you to the other members of Spider Gathered, and they all seem eager and happy to meet you. They dress in archaic fancy clothing much like Carl. It look like they fit their surroundings perfectly. It's like some kind of masquerade ball, and you feel painfully out of place in your regular clothes, Everyone you meet seems smart, sophisticated, and charming. You're definitely impressed. At some point, someone rings a bell and everyone moves into a large drawing room, walled with red curtains and lit with candlelight. You are seated in a cushy chair at a long table along with the rest of the society. Carl stands at the head of the table and beams at everyone. You feel strangely serene, enjoying every minute you're immersed in this intentionally foreboding atmosphere. These people, they're starting to feel like your kind of people. They get it. Theme is what it's all about. Carl looks you right in the eye, smiles, and pulls a rope. There's a hiss and a rumble. Your chair shudders, pulls back from the table, along with everyone else's. You grip the arms in shock as you realize all the chairs are on some sort of track, and they swivel until they are all moving toward the back of the room in a line. The curtain on the back wall pulls away, revealing a black and misty tunnel You laugh nervously as your car is swallowed by the darkness, and the sounds of buzzers, whistles, and shrieks and growls grow louder and louder. You never do quite recall what happened on that strange ride, but by the time the chairs have returned to the drawing room, you not only giddily commit Pearl Peninsula to Spider's cause, but ask to join the organization as well. Carl, the ever-smiling showman, nods knowingly. Thus. Pearl Peninsula becomes Dark Ride Haven wholly owned and operated by the organization you are now co-chair on Sure, your rides not only attract a certain kind of crowd but at least you have a place where your rides are always visually detailed And when the Family Trust finally grants you your aunt's inheritance you donate the majority of it to Spider so that the Dark Ride research and development can continue This path ends here To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 34 You go with your gut on this one. Halloween is ideal for a park like yours, steeped in nostalgia and crowded with dark rides. You don't have a lot of time to repair, but with Spider at your back, you have all the resources you need. Because Carl already looks like a ringmaster, you end up setting on a demented carnival as a theme, and make a cool backstory for the event about ghosts of the Old Midway turning Pearl Peninsula into their happy haunting ground every Halloween. Carl, of course, is quite tickled by this idea. The society starts building mazes based on these ideas using some of the older buildings as fitting interiors for some of them, and constructing walls and sets winding through some of the park's older backstage areas for others. You, meanwhile, start decorating your park. Jack-o'-lanterns are a must. Prop skeletons even more must. And when asked how many fog machines you want to install, the answer is always... more. You really start getting into it as the 31st ticks ever closer. You actually join your own audition process to become one of the many masked creatures stuck in your park. You're not sure how complicated it will actually be to jump out from behind things at people, but you find you have a lot more training to do than you thought. And yet, when early September hits and your park gates creak open on opening night, you get to see firsthand how successful the event is. And it's a hit. You have an absolute blast scaring the living daylights out of people. Word quickly spreads, and Pearl Peninsula becomes the hot ticket for Halloween lovers in the area. Carl shares your enthusiasm. This was a spectacular idea. He crows one night as you move through your dark carnival, and watch a demented clown make a couple of teenagers jump. Who doesn't love Halloween, right? If we do this every year, it should help supplement your income. And meanwhile, we are more than happy to design and conspire more of these delightful frights. Spider is with you, 100%. Before the season is even over, your aunt's inheritance is finally granted to you. And suddenly you have more money than you're even sure what to do with. There's plenty of room for expansion, and you're already thinking about what you might do for next year. But for now, the night is yours, and you are a paragon of both thrills and chills. Talk about a happy Halloween. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 35 The accidents seem too specific, too deliberate to be anything random. If it is indeed sabotage, then there's bound to be evidence for you to find. You begin your digging by going through all the security footage over the past several weeks by yourself, specifically the days of the accidents. It's tedious work, but you're determined to find that connection. Several long nights are spent examining the video, and slowly you start to notice something Very often, the same people are in the park on the same day that something happened. This isn't terribly surprising, since you do have repeat guests. You start to recognize specific features and details on at least three people despite changing clothes and hats between visits. Then you spot a potential lead. At different points on different visits, each of the three suspects is seen bearing some sort of logo, either worn on a t-shirt or baseball cap, or printed on a backpack or bag. A quick search is all it takes to identify it as Tycoon Industries, a multinational amusement park conglomerate. You doubt its coincidence, but you're confused. Why would such a huge company seek to sabotage your little park? If they're trying to be inconspicuous, it's not working. You still aim to get to the bottom of things, though, and soon you're winging your way across the country to Tycoon Towers. Their headquarters in the largest theme park on the planet. The meeting has been worked out between you and the CEO, Tyra Coon, the granddaughter of the company founder. It's all the pretense of incorporating Pearl Peninsula with them, but you have other plans. Tycoon Towers lives up to its name. The massive tower reminiscent of the Space Needle climbs hundreds of feet into the sky from the epicenter of the park. Surrounded by five distinctly themed areas and the best rides and entertainment to be found anywhere. Walking through to get to the tower is like setting foot in an eternal carnival where everything is pristine and clean and fun and whimsy are around every corner. There is nothing subtle about it. The tower also has rides built around and through corporate headquarters, and you're asked if you'd like to take the Sky Launch, the Platinum Pincers, or the Free Glide up to the main office on the top floor. You opt for the elevator, a little overwhelmed. When you finally get to the top floor, you see an impressive sweeping vista of the park's nighttime lights spread out below you from the windows ringing the office, Tyra Coon is looking at this view when you arrive and appears to you like a spy movie villain at this angle. She's tall and scary slender, her business suit immaculate, and when she smiles at you over her shoulder, it feels calculated, fake, like the park below. "'I am glad you can make it,' she says. "'Let's get down to business, shall we? I understand you've been refurbishing Pearl Peninsula.' Maybe it's the atmosphere, the fact that you're on edge, but you decide to cut right to the chase. You sit down across her desk and tell her everything, laying your grievances out in the open. You don't point fingers, but you make it evident that you're feeling suspicious. Tyra listens intently, and when you finish, she steeples her fingers. So you came to me on a whim, I take it, Thought I might have some plan to ruin your little park. I should feel insulted, but I don't. Tycoon Industries being as big as it is, I get this sort of scrutiny all the time. She stands and gestures to the view. Let me tell you something. When my grandfather, Tyler Kuhn, bought this land, there was nothing here but apricot trees. Acres and acres of them. But Grandpa had a vision, and he had the know-how to turn a little amusement park into a world-renowned resort. You know what inspired him? Places like Pearl Peninsula. Fun fairs and pleasure piers he visited while traveling around the country selling appliances. Little pockets of happiness in a weary world. Tyra sits again and looks you in the eye, her gaze piercing. Why do you think I would want to decimate your park? We care about our history here. When you tell her that you suspect it's to eliminate a rival, she laughs. <laughs> Oh, you assume too much. Just because the park operates outside of our company, doesn't mean we want to tear it down. You're jumping at shadows. We sell loads of merchandise and apparel with our logo, and anyone could have bought it. You do mention, after a pause, that you've been working with Spider to restore the park. Ugh, snorts Tyra in disgust. Those hacks... They're fanatics, sold-money enthusiasts who practically worship dark rides and hate everything else. I didn't realize you were working with that cult. No wonder your park is on the ropes. Where to the wise, I wouldn't trust Carl Tremper and his cronies. I think you're smart, but you just don't know any better in this case. If anyone is trying to sabotage your park, it's Spider. Now, are we going to talk about you joining us or not? Later in your guest suite in the tower, you start considering your next move. You told Tyra you would be willing to negotiate the next day, buying some time. What she did say about Spider does seem spot on. And as you think about it, every ride in your park has been affected some way or another during these mishaps at least once. Everything but the haunted hotel. Carl did seem fairly disappointed you didn't go with his dark ride idea. But you get a weird vibe from Tyra as well. If you know anything about big business, these CEOs have to be cutthroat and manipulative to see things through. Something about her brushing your problems off seems suspicious, and she's still a viable suspect. If you choose to head back to Pearl Peninsula and investigate Spider, skip to Chapter 36. If you want to stick around and do a bit of digging at Tycoon Industries, skip to Chapter 37.
2: Chapter 36
3: After a night's rest, you get up bright and early to make preparations to get back home. You think Tyra is being honest, but there's still a lot of questions you have and you want to confront Carl about it, but carefully so as not to show your hand. You do thank Tyra for her hospitality, only saying an emergency has pulled you away. You don't tell anyone about your early return, simply hopping on the first flight home you can get. It's risky, but intuition tells you that this is for the best. If all goes well, you could finally figure out who's behind your park's ruin. It's late at night when you get back to Pearl Peninsula, and the park is just closing for the night. You attempt to be subtle and slip in unnoticed, taking one of the janitor's uniforms and heading in. It feels strange skulking around your own theme park. Though you have no clue who to trust at this point, anyone could be in on the sabotage scheme. You walk through the dark, quiet midway and keep your eye out for anything suspicious trying to make a show sweeping trash in the paths. Suddenly, you spot a familiar top hat and mustache crossing the midway. It's Carl, marching along with a box under one arm and followed by a couple of maintenance people. In a flash, you recognize one of the men from the security tapes. You keep your distance and shadow them as they make their way to the entrance of the Razor Racer. Two of the maintenance people are waiting there, who nod to Carl and unlock the queue gate. They go together to the loading platform, and there, Carl opens his box and starts passing things to the others. You can't quite tell what's happening from the distance you're at. But an acrid smell hits you even from here as they start spreading something along the platform. Something sinister is definitely afoot. You consider running up there and confronting them, stopping whatever it is they're doing. Thankfully, your logic kicks in. Five to one are bad odds. Instead, you duck around a corner and call park security, and then the police. And not a moment too soon. Security arrive and puts their flashlights on them, just as Carl is lighting a match and the rest of the group is backing away. Caught red-handed, Carl looks flustered and bewildered. The match burns down to his fingers and burns him. Police investigations later prove your suspicions were correct. The saboteurs you saw on the tapes were all members of Spider in disguise, posing as members of Tycoon Industries to throw you off a scent. The night you caught them in the act, they were planning a masterstroke of arson by burning down the Razor Racer. Carl was staging everything. He wanted to build some sort of dark ride haven. And was angry that you built rides other than those he's fanatical about. I would have gotten away with it too. He moans, looking strange in orange prison attire. I had a vision for this place, you know. Something beautiful. Now it's just another mixed Bag of thrill rides and cheap entertainment. No one appreciates art anymore. Whatever Carl and his weird society think, you've managed to save your park. And in doing so, saved your chance of getting your aunt's inheritance. It comes to you soon after, and you start making expansion efforts. You even build a couple new dark rides, just to make sure there's something for everyone. After all, you are a theme park paragon. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 37 After a good night's rest, you awaken, ready to try some amateur sleuthing. You have been considering showing Tyra the security tapes of the three suspected saboteurs, but thought better of it. She could very easily lie about them. Your best bet is to find some sort of employee database, register for those working in tycoon industries. You have a quick breakfast and then go exploring tycoon towers, running a few rides and keeping an eye out for some epiphany. As you wander you spot several employees in blue jumpsuits and yellow hard hats coming and going among the park paths. They appear to be maintenance people, checking to make sure everything is in tip-top shape. Curiosity leads you to shadow one of them around. And eventually, you discover the access points to the employee-only areas. Throwing caution to the wind, you wait until no one seems to be watching and slip inside one of these doors. Into a series of corridors and utility hallways. People rush back and forth around you, but hardly pay you any notice. You feel your heart pounding as you find an employee changing room. And through no amount of careful planning, get a spare maintenance uniform and badge from an open locker and head back to the park. You cannot believe how well you're doing, how easy it is for you to walk back into the tower, tip your hard hat, and take the elevator to the floor where the database access can be found. It's not surprising that a member of maintenance would be here, and you get to a computer with no trouble. It's easy. Almost too easy, you wonder, sending a prickle of worry down your spine. The database for registered employees is so huge it's hard to know where to begin. You spend some time trying different search parameters, alternate keywords, scrolling through pictures and profiles, etc. You know what the three possible saboteurs look like, but they are three among thousands. With nothing much to go on, your eye is drawn to the section where the employees have listed their favorite Tycoon industry rides in their profile. You realize you can sort people by favorite ride and narrow it down there. An idea hits you, something that Tyra said in your meeting. You do a search for all employees that have listed Deep Shadow Castle, Tycoon Towers' most famous dark ride. This brings up a much smaller list and narrows your search. After a minute or two of scrolling through the picture profiles, bingo, a match. You recognize the man in the picture as one of the three spotted in Pearl Peninsula. It doesn't take you long to find the other two. All registered employees of Tycoon Industries, and all with Deep Shadow Castle as their favorite ride. You get their names and go back to Tyra, still dressed in your maintenance clothes. She's confused at first, but when you outline your suspicions, give her the names and show her the security footage you took, trusting that being honest and forward is your best bet, Tyra's surprise is obvious. I bet you anything they also work for Spider, she says. Ignoring the fact that what you did to uncover the information was definitely illegal. They're trying to sabotage you and frame the company in the process. Thank you. Believe me, I'll make sure these three are checked out. But you need to get back to your park before something goes wrong. You do just that, racing out of Tycoon Towers and onto the next plane home. But it's already too late. The night you touch down, you learn a fire started in the park just after closing doing hundreds of thousands in damage to Pearl Peninsula as a whole. Once again, no one was seriously hurt, but the only attraction to remain unscathed was again the Haunted Hotel. The park is ordered closed, and you never see your aunt's inheritance money. Carl succeeds in having Spider dismantle and move the Haunted Hotel in the aftermath, but Tyra follows through with her promise, and reveals that the saboteurs were indeed spider plants in Tycoon Industries. Nothing concrete can be done, There's no hard evidence leaking the sabotage of Spider, but you at least feel justified that your hunch was right, and how thrilling it was doing your own espionage work. You're just thinking about becoming a private detective in the aftermath when you receive a phone call one day. We were keeping an eye on you, says the voice through the receiver. We're impressed with the work you've done. When you ask what this is about, the man on the other end continues. What happened at Tycoon Towers was a test. If it seemed too easy for you to get in and out of places unnoticed, it's because we arranged it that way. Your investigative work is still impressive, though, and we'll be looking into Spider as a result. Now, we want to offer you a chance to put your skills to the test for a worthy cause. I represent citizens recruited against spy hunters, or CRASH, we think you've got what it takes to join our organization. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 38 You give Tina the okay to let them have at theming the park. You figure TV networks know how to really sell a concept, and this is no exception. Well, shucks, replies Tina. I'll get in touch with the rest of the BVN gang and we'll have something for you lickety-split. Meanwhile, we'll let you focus on getting this place back in span. Everything seems to be going well over the next few weeks. While BVN brainstorms on how best to give Pearl Peninsula the television touch, you focus on the hiring process for park staff, making sure the concessions sold are good quality and the like. Advertising is a non-issue thanks to Tina, and soon word is buzzing about your park's reopening. Finally, you get called for a meeting with the network bigwigs, ready to discuss plans for the park's theme. You feel out of place, taking a seat at the meeting room table, surrounded by suit-wearing, frowning business types. Only Tina smiles at you when you arrive, giving you a girlish little wave. Behind her, a large object on the wall is covered with a cloth. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just pleased as a peach to see our newest partner here today. Tina clasps her big hands in front of her excitedly. We've been really putting our heads together for this, and we've really latched onto to something brilliant. You ready? Without further ado, she spins and yanks a cloth off the large board on the wall, revealing dozens of pieces of concept art. They depict Pearl Peninsula, all fixed up and full of eager guests. And everything is themed around Bainbridge County. Ta-da! Beams Tina. We've been wanting to really shoot for a Bainbridge County Park for a while and now we got a chance to let people visit the county for real. Dumbstruck, you stand and walk over to the board. Your heart sinks even further when you realize it's not even Bainbridge County but the inferior reboot that hit the air this year to mixed reviews. You know enough to recognize features and sets that evoke this new hip version of Bainbridge County. You weekly ask about this and the board murmurs We felt it best to use the park to promote the new Bainbridge, says one of the near-identical men at the table. It will help integrate the show to the public, encourage them to watch it. Tina chuckles. Now, of course, it won't have little old me on it, but I have high hopes that with your help, we can get Bainbridge back into a major ratings. Well, what'd you think? You freeze for a moment. You park may be well on its way to being a dud if you're not too careful. Do you find a way to keep the current theme but make it work, trusting the network's logic, or do you change the theme and risk losing BBN support? If you decide to stick to BBN's Bainbridge plan, skip to Chapter 40. If you discard their idea and go with something different, skip to Chapter 41. Chapter 39 You tell Tina you have a plan for the park's theming and advertising. You can handle that part while BVM lets you use their franchises and advertises Pearl Peninsula. Tina's expression shows that she is good with the plan. Sure enough, you just let me know what you need and we can provide. You just better make sure I get a permanent season pass to this place here. I want to ride me some rides. A number of boring pitch meetings and strategy plans crop up in the wake of this decision with BVN, but at least you get to focus your creativity on making the park your own, while splashing in a few elements of the network shows. Of course, you've got to have a ride or two dedicated to Bainbridge County. It's a necessary evil to you. But that also means you get to show some love to Watertown High, Big Ape on campus, and your childhood favorite, Maestro Shark, as a little something for the kids. Meanwhile, BVN is on a roll, pitching your park, and when reopening day comes, crowds are clamoring at the gate to get inside. You let Tina in a little earlier than that, just so she can be the first on the merry-go-round she seems to adore. The park is a smash hit, with young and old alike taken by your park's old charms mingling with new aesthetics. In a matter of weeks, you've already made a decent profit, and BVN reports they're happy with the revenue generated by selling merchandise in your park. You think if you can keep this up, the Family Trust Fund will finally give you the rest of your aunt's inheritance. Now that your park is growing, you think it's time to expand. You figure a touch of something modern could really help your park out. A brand new high-speed roller coaster, some rides with the latest technology backing them. Only trouble is, all of the Pearl Peninsula land is pretty chock-full of rides and shops and other things. There's some land across the highway from your park for sale, but it's expensive and you'd have to spend extra to connect your park across the highway. You have the funds, but it's really risky. You don't have a lot of room to grow, though technically you have jurisdiction over some of the ocean around the peninsula. It could be a cool gimmick to have a roller coaster that goes over the sea. If you wish to buy the land and build more of your park there, skip to Chapter 42. If you want to expand your park out to the sea, skip to Chapter 43. Chapter 40 Seeing the way Tina and the shareholders are looking at you, you realize you can't really say no. They probably have the right idea anyway, and they are doing you a huge favor. So you tell them you're sold, and that work can begin right away. The masses seem to gobble up any reboots these days, regardless of quality. Really, what's the worst that can happen? You realize the answer to that question not long after the grand reopening of the park. No one likes the Bainbridge County reboot. Heck, not many people really like the original Bainbridge County that much either. Complaints crop up right away in reviews, calling your park a media sellout, a shrine to eyesores, a completely transparent ploy for a bad show, etc, etc. No amount of fun rides and classic thrills can change the fact that everything bears the smiling empty facades of the new Bainbridge County. You quickly go bankrupt with BVN cutting their losses and providing a bit of recompense before ducking out. You fail to get your aunt's inheritance, and the park is once again shuttered and dark. Nothing left to do now but kick back and watch some mindless TV, and to mentally kick yourself when Bainbridge County comes on. How could you not see this one coming? This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 41 You can't let them get away with theming your park after a terrible show just to boost ratings. You approach the matter delicately, saying that while you think the idea has merit, you wonder why more of BVN's library of titles aren't represented. "Uh, We want to promote Bainbridge County in particular, says one of the drab shareholders. It has the biggest appeal, or at least it will once the public accepts it. Having this experience based solely on the new Bainbridge will encourage viewership. You nod, fighting the urge to point out the flawed logic of shoving a boring reboot of an already boring show down people's throats. Instead, you point out that though the new Bainbridge is nice, your guests are going to want a more complete experience when it comes to the theme. You mentioned keeping much of Pearl Peninsula with a seaside feel but name a few of BVN's other shows to base rides and attractions on. You really lay on thick how much fun it would be for people to finally experience the whole spectrum of their favorite TV shows. Though the board looks dubious, Tina actually nods. Y'all got a point, she says. Say, fellas, I think maybe we are overdoing it. Much as I love to see them new actors taking up the mantle of the old Bainbridge God, let's see what else we can add. And so, after some entertainment haggling and more negotiation, Pearl Peninsula finally opens, featuring some of VBN's most popular, and not so popular, franchises. It's a huge hit right off the bat, and soon the park is swelling with patrons who love the mix of amusement park nostalgia and their favorite shows. You feel proud of your persuasive skills. Certain you dodged a bullet with this plan. Tina's a frequent visitor to your park and loves the merry-go-round especially. Really glad you stepped up and challenged the board, she tells you one day. They gotta get their heads out of the office and onto the midway. That's where all the fun's at. You done good here, partner. Now that your park is growing, you think it's time to expand. You figure a touch of something modern could really help your park out. A brand new high-speed roller coaster and some rides with the latest technology backing them. Only trouble is, All of the Pearl Peninsula land is pretty chock full of rides, shops, and other things. There's some land across the highway from your park for sale, but it's expensive, and you'd have to spend extra to connect your park across the highway. You have the funds, but it's really risky. You don't have a lot of room to grow, though technically you have jurisdiction over some of the ocean around the peninsula. It could be a cool gimmick to have a roller coaster that goes out over the sea, though that would be tricky and expensive in its own way. If you wish to buy the land and build more of your park there, skip to Chapter 42. If you want to expand your park out to the sea, skip to Chapter 43. Chapter 42 It's a much safer bet to expand the park on the land than over the water, despite the added costs. You make the purchase of some decent acreage and break ground for the expansion. Months go by and everything progresses smoothly. Your plan is to have this new part of Pearl Peninsula be accessible by footpath over the highway or by a scenic chairlift that connects the two parks. Of course, even though you'll need to raise admission a smidgen as a result, you're not going to charge a separate ticket just to get into the new area. The concept alone should help drive traffic to the park, especially when you begin building a spine-tingling new roller coaster to be the star attraction of the new area. Featuring the latest and greatest in ride technology, the area is your playground, and you run wild, giving it a fresh edge. EVN continues to give you free reign to promote their shows, and you move some of the cluttered theming from one side of Pearl Peninsula to the other even modeling a little section of the park as a stylized Bainbridge County. Even when a freak hurricane blows through the area near the end of construction, it does little to set you back, and you open everything on time to great fanfare. The people love it right away. You like the contrast between the old Pearl Peninsula and the new, with a unique way to move between the two. The rides are a hit with the young crowd in particular, who clamor for the high-speed loops and launches of your new roller coaster, the Salt Blaster. That's a mighty fine ride you've got there. Tina tells you apprehensively on opening day, watching warily as the first train rockets out of the station and into the first of several inverted loops. But I think I'll stick to the smaller rides, maybe make appearances for autographs. Pearl Peninsula is really becoming something to be proud of, and your family trust has deemed you fit to receive the rest of your inheritance. Now, with a burgeoning theme park and more money than you can possibly use, you can see yourself going a step further and making waves as a the theme park paragon. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one, chapter forty three. What's well, an Oceanside Park without something in the ocean? You can get an extra dose of intensity out of any roller coaster if it goes out over the water. And really, you don't have much of a choice where to build anyway, unless you're willing to tear down some of your old rides. You draw up plans for a fantastic white-knuckle suspended coaster that soars away from the peninsula, the rider's feet dangling over the open water below, complete with inversions, two corkscrews, and an opening drop that will leave jaws on the floor. You're sure this will be a ride to remember, since most of the track is going to be over the sea, you dub your creation Tempest. Construction is difficult and costly. The right supports have to be built to withstand the ebb and flow of the tides. And with the work so specialized, you need specialized workers and equipment. It's an unorthodox venture, to be sure. And you sink a good chunk of your finances into the project, knowing Tempest will be good enough to put your park on the map and more than make returns. Time passes. Your park continues to see good business. Tina and BVN are happy. You watch as Tempest's mighty track rises into the air, towering over your park and growing higher and more complete month after month. You listen to the awe and speculation among your park's patrons as they anticipate the completion of your first truly new ride. A week before the ride opens, word reaches you that a major storm is approaching your coast. This doesn't worry you since you were cautious and made sure everything would withstand even the most fierce weather. However, as the storm gets closer, it grows, elevating to hurricane status despite the rarity of hurricanes in this part of the country. You're forced to evacuate your park and hope for the best as it bears down on Pearl Peninsula. Hurricane Norman is exactly the sort of disaster that could ruin you. The intense waves and gale-force winds of the storm combine to utterly destroy Tempest before it even has a chance to exist, though the rest of your park, safely tucked on dry land, receives minimal damage. You can't better look. But when you arrive the next day, you see the twisted wreckage of your dream coaster jutting from the surf. Not only does it set you back to square one with no way to recoup your losses, the EPA slaps you with some intense fines as a result of pieces of your coaster washing ashore for miles around the park. BVN offers to buy the park from you, and you accept it only because the money offered will keep you from sliding into poverty. Looks like your dreams of being a theme park paragon and getting your aunt's inheritance are all washed up. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1.
0: Hello and welcome to Benview on Spielberg. I'm your resident Spielberg apatheticist, Matt Benson, and I'm resident uh, Spielberg fanatic, Justin Keyzon. And today we're going to talk about Duel, The Sugarland Express, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. the Extra-Terrestrial, Zone, Indiana Jones and the, the Temple of the Empire, Indiana Jones the Jurassic Lost World, Saving Private Minority The Terminator, Indiana Jones Adventures of the Indiana Jones Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Steven Spielberg, Ben Vuon Spielberg. New episodes dropping on the 15th of every month at BenviewNetwork.com. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.